of the children of Israel were actually with the children of Israel. I'm going to say that again. The destruction of the children of Israel was not external, it was internal. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, listen, no external power can shipwreck your life, but you can. You can. In some ways, it really is true that you are the master of your own destiny. Today, Pastor Daniel reveals that outside forces couldn't bring down the Israelites, but they held the power to destroy themselves. The same is true for you. Only you have the ability to shipwreck your life. The choices you make will change your life for your good or your harm. You can protect yourself by guarding your heart and mind as you stay close to the Lord. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 25 as he begins his message idolatry in Moab. We're here at the very end of this series, the second series we're doing in the book of Numbers. I've broken up the book of Numbers into three sections. And we did that for a reason, because really the book breaks down into these three sections. And so today is the culmination of this part of the story that we're calling wilderness. Because really, from the beginning of the book of Numbers until now, chapter 25, about 38 years has elapsed in the life of the children of Israel. And we're at the point where almost the entire generation who left Egypt has passed away. So this entire generation has been lost in the wilderness. And we've been saying all the way along that for the children of Israel, they were in the wilderness literally. They were wandering around the wilderness. But they were also in the wilderness, spiritually speaking. Because the constant theme of the book of Numbers is the fact that the children of Israel are struggling to find that place where they are following the Lord, where they're trusting the Lord. And so you're constantly getting these great highs and these tragic lows, these great steps and acts of faith, and then these tragic failures of faith. And in a lot of ways, if you look at your own life, you find that that's what our lives look like a lot of times. We have these times when we're walking so strong and so close with the Lord. And then you have these other times where you're like, I'm just mailing it all in and I'm messing up. And so we see ourselves in the life of the children of Israel. Now, what's interesting about chapter 25 is that really this is the culmination of the entire story of Balaam the prophet. And we spent a number of weeks looking at that together. Remember, the king of Moab didn't want to have to go to battle against the children of Israel. A series of successive kings had come out to battle against the children of Israel, and 
they were defeated. And so the king of Moab was like, look, I got another idea. I'm going to hire this guy named Balaam. He's a prophet. We're going to have him come and he's going to curse the children of Israel. I'm going to pay him a lot of money. And if I can't beat them, we're going to curse them. And so sure enough, we spent three weeks looking at the story of Balaam, this prophet, and how really what we found out was that nobody can curse truly whom God has blessed. That was the theme, that no matter what people think, you can't curse what God has blessed. But what's fascinating is what we're going to see that happens in Numbers 25 is that although a prophet could not curse the children of Israel, we find that the power of the destruction of the children of Israel were actually with the children of Israel. I'm going to say that again. The destruction of the children of Israel was not external, it was internal. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, listen, no external power can shipwreck your life, but you can. You can. And that's one of those sobering statements that as a pastor, I get the not so fun pleasure of making, but I have to make it because it happens over and over and over again. That no sword, no curse of a stranger had any power to damage Israel, but all of the damage is done by their own decisions. We're going to find out that Balaam actually has a part to play in this as well. But what we're going to find is that what Balaam couldn't do for Balak, a little encouragement and temptation, the children of Israel got the job done for the enemies of Israel. Look at what happens. Numbers 25, picking up in verse 1. It says, Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to sacrifice to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate, and he bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And so Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill the men who were joined to Baal of Peor. Now, you see how quickly... The scene changes, right? We just had these three chapters of this prophet trying to curse the children of Israel. And the prophet, as he receives the word of the Lord, is glowing about God's people and how nobody can curse these people and how amazing and how blessed they are. And look at them. They're the beauty of the Lord. And then all of a sudden you hear they remained in Acacia Grove and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. See, what's fascinating about this is that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus speaking to one of the churches there says this, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel 
to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So although we don't get it in the book of Numbers, we find out in the book of Revelation that Balaam, although he was unable to curse the children of Israel, he counseled Balak, the king of Moab, that I can't curse them, but if you can get them to worship your gods and commit harlotry with your women, you will be able to defeat them. And the children of Israel take the bait. These two things, sexual immorality and idolatry. Two things completely undermine God's blessing in the life of the children of Israel. Now, bowing down to Baal, he was a pagan god. You can uh, read all about him throughout your Bible. He'll keep coming up. He was one of the main Canaanite gods. And in the worship of Baal, there was all, all sorts of sexual rights involved with it. So it wasn't just bowing down and offering sacrifices, but there was prostitution involved. It was like an orgy, really. That was the way it was practiced. And what's amazing is, is that in a lot of ways, the struggle that the children of Israel had in their culture, that struggle still rages on today. Because if you look at two things that are absolutely undermining the people of God in this generation, it's sexual immorality and idolatry. Completely sabotaging the work of the church. Idolatry is choosing to worship another God. Now, I know you're like, okay, so Pastor Daniel, okay, so like we're here at church, like we're studying about the true and living God. But listen, how many of us bow down to the idol of American culture, wealth, security, status symbols? Listen, I don't ever want to sound like I'm down on these things, but you can't define yourself by your bank account. You can't define yourself by designer clothing. I mean, you can try, but you're of much more value than to be defined by. How many people make horrible life decisions because it's all about a promotion? See, idolatry is choosing to put something above the worship of the true and living God. You know, and we do need to be challenged by things like what it says in the Bible, that the love of money is the root of all evil. I know the New King James puts all kinds of evil but the Greek doesn't say that it's the root of all evil. That's a challenging statement. I mean, Jesus did say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus did say that. And how many of you guys have ever tried to put a piece of thread through the eye of a needle? Like, that, it's a very provocative statement. And you realize that if your family income is more than about $30,000 a year, then you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Maybe not in America, but in the world, you're in the top 1% of wage earners. So by definition, we're wealthy. If you carry a cell phone in your pocket, if you drink a designer coffee, I mean, there's 2 billion people on this globe live on less than $1 a day. So if you bought a latte... That was like almost a week's worth of food for one quarter of the world's population. Now, I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, but that would place us in the, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven as a wealthy person. Now, don't miss that that goes on. And they said, well, 
who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, listen, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. But you have to remember the problem with wealth is that it's impossible not to trust in it. That's the problem with it. It functions as a pseudo savior, right? How many of us struggle with our own fears and anxieties based on wealth or lack thereof? How are we going to pay those? Am I going to outlive my retirement nest egg? Am I ever going to be retired? You know, you have all these things. It consumes our culture. It's consuming our culture. Whereas all the way along, we're supposed to trust in who? The Lord. See, that's why when you go to countries that are much less wealthy as ours, people have such a vibrant joy because they can't trust in it. There's nothing else to trust in. It doesn't make poverty spiritual, but when you can't trust in money because it's not there, you learn how to trust in the Lord for everything. So I'm not saying that poverty is better. I'm saying for you and I, we all have to learn how not to trust in the balance on the checkbook. And we have to say, God, all of my hope is in you. All of my trust is in you. And brothers and sisters, anything that we trust other than the true and living God biblically is a what? It's an idol. So if it's the trust of the love of your spouse or your sweetie or your significant other or the hope of the significant other or the amount of money in the bank account or the new cool jeans you're going to wear or whatever your thing is, that's an idol. And don't forget in the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment is what? Don't have any other gods other than me. And really, all the other commandments, according to Martin Luther, who I don't agree with everything Martin Luther said, but I do agree with this one. He said that all the other commandments are broken because we actually break the first one. The reason we will covet our neighbor's spouse is because we're going to have another God before the true and living God. The reason we're going to not trust the Lord and think that we have to work our lives away is because we don't trust that God's going to provide. The reason we will murder is because we do not trust in God's ultimate justice. See, every sin really gets broken by us having an idol problem. And the heart default of every human is idolatry. So you have the idolatry on one side, and then you have the sexual immorality on the other side. And listen, all you have to do is do a Google search on sexuality in America in the 21st century, and you can just read it. The numbers, I mean, the pornography industry, the percentages of people who are looking at pornography, the breakdown of marriages, the numbers of teenage pregnancies and sexual relations outside of marriage, the numbers of failed, I mean, you go down the list and all the numbers are horrible. And what's good is that if you look at the church, the numbers are a little better, but not better because it should not be named among us. And it makes sense, listen, it makes sense. Satan's wise and not wise in like he's good smart, it's just like he's wicked smart. And he's taken the long plan. And what he realizes is that sexuality was created by God for worship. The coming together of a man and a woman is the ultimate act of worship. It's the coming together physically, embodying what God has done spiritually with a man and a woman coming together as one flesh. 
And so it's meant to be pure and undefiled. It's a holy act of worship. And so every time there's this thing that's holy, Satan wants to cheapen it, make it not as important. And almost everything in our lives, we have God's version of it, and then we have the cheapened version of it. So just as idolatry is a problem, brothers and sisters, you need to mind your heart and your bodies. And Jesus taught us external sexual sins is not the problem. It is the symptom of a heart problem. That's what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. When he goes through, don't murder, don't commit adultery. It's not a body problem. It's a heart problem that manifests itself in the body. And so for you and for me, really the issue's in the heart, and then it plays itself out in the body. And God wants to do a heart work, and God knows as he's doing heart surgery on you and on me, that will manifest itself out in our bodies differently because God is changing our hearts. Now you might be saying, okay, well, listen, I'm going to stop doing that thing when God changes my heart. Listen, no, no, no. Be obedient and ask God to, change, to bring your heart around. In some ways, you have to think yourself into a new way of being. We have to obey our way into a new way of being. So honestly, if you can't handle the computer, you need to give that thing away. If you can't handle Facebook or whatever, you need to get rid of that stuff. Because Jesus said, literally, if your hand causes you to sin, what should you do? You should chop that baby off. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, you should pluck it out. And I always say, God's not a God of amputation. But God is saying, you need to deal severely with these things. You need to deal severely with them because it's either killing you or you're killing it. So mind your hearts, mind your souls, mind your bodies. See, the children of Israel have been blessed by the Lord, but they of their own will have chosen at this juncture to commit harlotry with the women of Moab and to bow down to the God Baal or the idol Baal, God with a little g. And how many of us do the same things? We choose an idol other than God and then the ethics of that idolatry plays itself out or we choose the sexual immorality and then we need to find a God who will fit it. If you look at the way backsliding happens in people's lives. Oftentimes, somebody decides that they don't want the holiness ethics of Christianity and so they say, I'm not going to worship that God. If that God says, I can't do this thing that I want to do and this thing that I want to do, I'm going to go find another belief structure to support the way that I feel like living. Almost every time I've ever talked to somebody who was an on-fire believer of Jesus, and then they're not believing in Jesus, there's always an action associated with it. Always. It's never, yeah, I just decided Jesus is real. It's like, okay, no, no, what are you into right now? Oh, you're smoking a bunch of weed. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, you want to sleep around. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, yeah, you're cheating on finances. You're just ripping your coworkers off. It's like, we, we want to live a certain way, so we want to find a God to justify it, right? Or... We find another God other than the true and living God, and then the ethics come along with it. Now, if you think about that, from Romans chapter 1, many people today struggle with 
homosexuality and same sex and what's going on. You have to realize if you read your Bible that Roman chapter one tells us the reason men are attracted to men and women are attracted to women, it's not about their attractions necessarily. It's about idolatry because it says that because they would not worship God, God gave them over to their debased minds. And what we're actually seeing in America, in the West, is a cultural giving over. As a culture, God's saying, you will not worship me. I'm going to give you over to your debased ideas. And the whole same-sex thing that we're seeing now, that's not the problem. That is the symptom of an idolatry problem. And if you don't believe me, just read what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1. It's right there, verses 18 to 29. You follow the logic. He's saying, no, that's not the problem. The problem is idolatry. Whatever God you worship, you will become like that God. That's how it works. If you worship yourself, then you will become whatever it is that you are. And if you choose to worship money, you will become that. We become whatever we worship, and everybody worships something. So it's either the action leads to the theology or the theology leads to the action. And that's why for you and I here at Crossroads, we're saying, look, there's only one God, the holy, true, and living creator God and his son, Jesus Christ. And if we believe in that God, then we will become Christ-like in the process by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why following Jesus and simply responding to the crucified and resurrected Savior absolutely changes everything because you can't follow him and not become like him. But if we choose, brothers and sisters, if we choose like the children of Israel did, I mean, they saw God's hand in a powerful way. They saw him deliver them through a mighty hand, amazing miracles, probably more profound things than we might ever see. They saw that stuff, but they still chose in this moment to follow after Baal and the sexual ethics of Moab. And it's going to have dire consequences. So you and I, this was written for our admonition, brothers and sisters. And it was amazing to me as I've been studying this and preparing this message, how my heart was arrested with a warning. Because you see it, and you're like, this is bad. They knew God, but yet they decided to follow the idols and the sexual ethics of the Moabites. And notice what happens. They bow down in verse 3. So Israel was joined to Baal. You realize that that idea of joining, that has very specific connotations of a man being, a man will be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. The language is a marriage language. They became joined to Baal of Peor and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Jesus is Today, Pastor Daniel encouraged you to be mindful of your heart, your soul, and your body. You learned that though blessed by God, some of the Israelites chose to go their own way, practice idolatry and sexual immorality, and it destroyed them. Pastor Daniel exhorted you to deal severely with your sin, saying that if you don't kill it, it will kill you. He also shared that you become like whatever you worship. That's why following Jesus changes everything. You can't follow him and not become like him. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page. That website again is JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will address the issue of money. You'll be challenged to consider if you struggle with fears or worries related to money. Thoughts of how you'll pay bills or make it through retirement plague you? Pastor Daniel will encourage you to give over your idol of wealth and look to the Lord for your provision and security. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Wilderness. Until then, may God bless.